Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in the book of Genesis. Last time we read Genesis chapter 18. Now at the end of 18, God and some angels are heading down, or the Lord and some angels are heading down to uh, Sodom. Uh, basically, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to you know, check it out firsthand because, um, well, let's face it, the Lord knows what's going on there, and it's terrible and sinful. And Abraham has basically um, asked the Lord to spare the city if he can find even ten righteous people. Just ten decent, you know, God-worshipping, following people, you know. That doesn't mean ten perfect people now, I want you to realize, just like with us. Um, we may be righteous, we may be God's children, and we may be following the Lord and doing our best. But that doesn't mean we're perfect. And, and he wasn't looking for perfect people. But he was looking for people who were following him, who acknowledged him as God. So he just needed to find ten. So let me read the last two verses here of chapter 18. Then Abraham said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry with me, and I will speak only this once, meaning just one final time. Suppose ten righteous people are found there. And he, God, said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his own place. So, that was the best he could do. Abraham, he, you know, he talked to God, he, he asked him, and he, he reduced it from 50 all the way down to 10. Because he, Abraham probably, I would have thought so too, I think most people would, would have thought, well, surely in this big town, this big city, there will be 10 people. Because he knew Lot and his family were there, so there's at least like four people that were following the Lord. Supposedly, okay? I'm just saying that that's what, that's what I as a human or anyone else would naturally think. Now, we're looking here, we're ready to read Genesis uh, chapter 19. I am reading in the Amplified Bible. It was evening when the two angels came to Sodom. Now, previously, the Lord had had two angels with him, and the two angels went ahead while Abraham talked to him and asked him to reduce the number of righteous people he needed to uh, save the city. <clears throat> so Lot was sitting at Sodom's city gate. Seeing them, Lot got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, See here, my lords. Please turn aside and come into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may get up early and go on your way. But they said, No, we shall spend the night in the open plaza of the city. However, Lot strongly urged them, so they turned aside and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them with wine and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down to sleep, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. All the men from every quarter, and they called out to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we may know them, and it says intimately, meaning in bad ways. Um, I really don't want to... Anyway, okay, so we're talking about basically the men came out and they wanted to 
uh, be homosexual with these guys, okay? Let me just be blunt. I should just be blunt and be an adult about it. I just don't like to talk or think about this. But anyway, that's what they wanted, okay? They wanted to have homosexual uh, relations with these guys, with these angels. But Lot went out of the doorway to the men and shut the door after him and said, Please, my brothers, do not do something so wicked. See here, I have two daughters who have not known a man <clears throat> intimately, meaning they've, they're virgins, they've never had sex. Please let, let me bring them out to you instead, and you can do as you please with them. Only do nothing to these men, because they have in fact come under the shelter of my roof for protection. But they, the crowd, said, Get out of the way, and they said, This man, Lot, came as an outsider to live here temporarily, and now he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than your visitors. So they rushed forward and pressed violently against Lot, and came close to breaking down the door of his house. But the men, angels, reached out with their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door after him. They struck, and this says punished in parentheses, the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, from the young men to the old men, so that they exhausted themselves trying to find the doorway. And the two men, angels, asked Lot, Have you any others here in Sodom, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters, whomever you have in the city? Take them out of here, for we are destroying this place, because the outcry for judgment against them has grown so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy and ruin it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were betrothed and legally promised to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he appeared to be joking. So they did not take him seriously at all, because obviously they were not following the Lord. They did not believe, and they did not take him seriously. They, you know. Um, now notice, though, also, if we back up, Lot was willing to give his daughters, these guys' wives, to these men just so they would leave the angels alone. Now, now Lot had taken them in, and, and customs are, customs were, sometimes in such a way that when you had a guest in your house, when you brought them in, they were your responsibility, and you were to protect them, even if it meant sacrificing yourself or your family. Okay, I mean, some, some places had strong customs like that. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily did, but Lot really seems to be following that type of a custom where it's like, well, I've brought these strangers into my house, and he knew they were angels, but let's just, let's just keep going with that. Um, I've brought these into my house, and um, they're under my protection. I have to protect them. I can't just let something befall them, something evil or wicked happen to them. So here he is. He's even offering up his daughters anything to keep them safe and uh, like I said that was some in some places that was the custom that when you brought a visitor in or a, a person in as a get a guest in your house you were 
really to take that seriously and really be responsible for them and take care of them. So, and, and that is the way Locke comes across to me in reading this. Okay. Now, like I said, I'm not going to claim to know all the old customs and their society and everything, but I didn't live in Sodom and Gomorrah and I really don't know a lot about these people. That may have been a real custom for them. I, I'm not sure. You know, you notice Abraham acts similarly, though. He acts whenever the Lord or the angels or anybody shows up. He acts the same way, like they're his guest and he becomes their servant. As I noted uh, back when we were reading about him uh, 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 giving food and, and stuff to the angels and the Lord, he stood to serve them. And... Uh, that's that's the way some societies were, um, and I think some people still are that way in a lot of ways. But uh, but I, I don't think we're that way as much. Okay, I mean not that we don't try to take care of our guests and visitors, but I don't know if we're quite <clears throat> to that extreme. All right. So anyway, his sons-in-law did not take him seriously when Lot told them that they needed to get up and get out of there. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Get up, take your wife and two daughters who are here, and go, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. So notice there were four. Now, as far as I know, we're going to continue to read, but from what I remember, these four are the only people the angels even try to save. So that's not ten righteous people. That's four. Now, the sons-in-laws, had they believed and had even just a little righteousness to them, meaning they believed in the Lord enough, they would have gotten up and left, and that would have been six. That still wouldn't have been ten people. You know, Abraham had talked to God, and God said, yeah, if there's ten people, I will not destroy it. But there wasn't even ten people. So here the angels are, and they're saying, Get up, take your wife and two daughters who are here, and go, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated and lingered. The men took hold of his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, because the Lord was merciful to him for Abraham's sake. God knew Lot was Abraham's family and, and that Abraham didn't want anything to happen to Lot. And they brought him out and left him outside the city with his family. So basically, now whether there was any miracle work here or if it was just normal, we're grabbing you and dragging you outside of town. Either way, they made sure, you know, they grabbed Lot and his family and they made sure they were outside. When they had brought them outside, one of the angels said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stop anywhere in the entire valley. Escape to the mountains of Moab, or you will be consumed and swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, not that place, my lords. Please listen, your servant has found favor has found favor in your sight, and you have magnified your loving kindness mercy to me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, because the disaster will overtake me, and I will be killed. Now look, this town in the distance is near enough for us to flee to, and it is small, with only a few people. Please let me escape there. Is it not small, so that my life will be saved? 
And the angel said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also. I will not destroy this town of which you have spoken. Hurry and take refuge there, for I cannot do anything to punish Sodom until you arrive there. For this reason the town was named Zoar, few, meaning few or small. So, well, I say Zoar. It's Z-O-A-R. It could be Zor, but I, I say Zoar. So here... They were Lot was you know they were telling Lot how to get out of there, but then Lot's like, well, can't we just go to this small town? And I guess the town was small enough, and maybe there were, maybe those people were better, you know, more righteous people, and so they're like, yeah, you know, we can grant that request, so you can do that, but you've got to go. Hurry and take refuge, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. All right. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down brimstone, flaming sulfur, and fire on Sodom and on Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew, demolished, ended those cities and the entire valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and whatever grew on the ground. So, here... The Lord wiped it out, everything. But Lot's wife, from behind him, now, and they have some information in brackets here. I'm going to read this first without that. But Lot's wife, from behind him, looked, and meaning looked back towards Sodom, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, We're not sure exactly how this happened. I mean, this is told us here, and it sounds like it happened very quickly. But I'm going to read you some of the extra stuff here. It's, it's just a little bit to think about. But Lot's wife from behind him foolishly, longingly, looked back towards Sodom in an act of disobedience, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, there's also a note here I want to read. It's something to think about. Lot's wife not only looked back to where her interests were, but perhaps lingered behind and was overtaken by the fire and brimstone. Her dead body likely became continually encrusted with salt since this disaster occurred in the salt-rich area around the Dead Sea. Now, I, that's that's someone's thought or opinion on that, and it's a th it's a thought. I, I I get that. I think the main thing to realize here is that Lot's wife did look back. They said not to look back, and and she looked back, maybe because she had interests there that she. Now I don't know, of course, do not know these people in any personal way, but maybe she did have some interest there, or maybe it was some kind of curiosity in a. I don't know, but it was something not good. It's not a good thing. You know, maybe she was going to miss her life there, but that, you know, it said there's a there's a place where it, uh, I forget now exactly where that was, but the, the scriptures that we've read earlier said that the, the sin that was going on was continually, you know, bothering Lot. It, it hurt his heart. So, you know, wouldn't she also been affected by that? But she looked back, and it makes you 
think that perhaps there was something there that she was going to miss. So, All right. So continuing on, Abraham started out early the next morning to the place where he, only the day before, had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley of the Dead Sea, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a kiln, pottery furnace. So Abraham went and looked, and he saw the disaster. He saw the power of the Lord and the way the place was destroyed. Now when God ravaged and destroyed the cities of the plain of, this says of Siddim, he remembered Abraham, and for that reason, and he sent Abraham's nephew Lot out of the midst of the destruction when he destroyed the cities in which Lot had lived. So he remembered Abraham and he remembered his promise, but then he went beyond. You'll notice God went beyond what he had actually promised. He didn't find ten people, but he knew Abraham would want his, his relatives saved, his family saved, and so God did that. Now Lot went up from Zoar and lived in the mountain together with his two daughters, for he was afraid to stay any longer in Zoar, and he lived in a cave with his two daughters. Now, he was afraid. I wonder if Zoar was really much better then. Maybe he went to Zoar and found that they were still pretty sinful, and maybe he was afraid to stay there thinking that they would be destroyed. It's just a thought. I'm not saying that's definitely what happened, but it sounds like that was a thought. The firstborn said to the younger, now this is his daughters, Our father is aging, and there is not a man on earth available to be intimate with us in the customary way, so that we may have children. Come, let us make our father drunk with wine, and we will lie with him, so that we may preserve our family through our father. So they gave their father wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she got up, because he was completely intoxicated. Then the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drunk with wine tonight also, and then you go in and lie with him, so that we may preserve our family through our father. So they gave their father wine that night also, and the younger got up and lay with him. And again, he did not know when she lay down or when she got up. Thus both the daughters of Lot conceived by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab from the father, or from father. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also gave birth to a son and named him Ben-Ami, or Ben-Ami, son of my people. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Alright. So, I'm not sure what to think of that. I mean, this is what happened. So it just is. It's historically what happened. And this is where the Moabites and the Ammonites come from. So, you know, the daughters did this because they didn't feel like there was anyone for them. So obviously the people in Zoar were uh, were also sinful people. You know, they were a small town nearby, you know, near to Sodom and Gomorrah, so of course they had been affected as well. 
And obviously there was no one there or in the surrounding countryside that these daughters felt like would be husbands for them. So to continue their family, continue their bloodline, they lay with their father. Now, our sensibilities nowadays, we are appalled by this. Um, I can't say much more about that. Um, but they did continue their family, and their family did survive on past this point. So, But, uh, you know, Lot would not have knowingly done that. However, Lot was not a perfect person either. He did allow himself to become intoxicated and, and, do, and do this and be, you know, a part of this. Even though it says that he did not know or did not realize that he had done it. But still, he did allow himself to be in that position. See, that's, a, that's one lesson we can take from this. You know, don't allow yourself to become intoxicated with anything to the point to where you don't know what's going on. Don't make yourself so out of it that, that someone could do anything to you or with you and you would not know you did it or remember it. That's a horrible thing. You, you don't want to be like that waking up the next day people could claim you did anything and you wouldn't know you did it and you wouldn't know you didn't do it. You wouldn't know. So you don't want that. It's, it's just a horrible, horrible way to live and be. You don't want to be doing that or have that kind of intoxication in your life. It's, it's not healthy for you. It really isn't. It's not good for you. But uh, largely, too, it's, it's not good for you spiritually and mentally and emotionally. It's, it's bad to do that. And it hurts. It hurts your brain. It really does. It hurts your capacity for thought. Um, it's damaging when you're that intoxic intoxicated with anything. It's damaging for you. So, all right. So that is Genesis chapter 19. I want to thank you for listening. Um, you know, I do want to revisit one thing we didn't mention though. Too is that. Uh, the power of God, you know, when God said that judgment was going to be put on these cities, you know, here again, and this kind of goes back to some other things we've discussed off and on as we've read through the New Testament, and now we're in the Old Testament. How literal do you take things? How literal do you read this? Do you read this and say, well, this is just figurative and representative, and it didn't really happen that way? Or do you feel like, no, this is, this is literal, this is a historical event, and God actually did this. Rain down, you know, allowed judgment to rain down on these towns for their sin and their wickedness. Because if you, if you say, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of reflect back to this, what we've studied and looked at in the past. If you say that things in Revelation are so, um, let's see, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. If it's, if you say it's so, uh, full of imagery and it's just, uh, representative, but it's not, uh, if you say it's not real and it's just all, um, I'm trying to think of the right word and I'm not thinking of, if you say it's just all iconic or it's just all, um, um, 
I'm trying to think of the right, I'm not getting the right word, I apologize. But anyway, if you say that revelation is not real, and you say that it just, oh, it's, you know, it's just too figurative, it's not literal, it's too figurative, and we can't, we can't really understand it, and we can't expect those things to actually happen, then why, and I'm just going to say this and throw that out there as a thought, okay, why would I then, when I read this, would I say, well, how do I know this is literal? How do I know this actually happened? Why would I believe, if I don't believe that part of the Bible actually happened, or will happen, then why would, and you know, because it depends on how you look at it, okay, then why would I believe that this happened like this? Why would I not say, well, this is more figurative, it's more representative, but it's not literal, kind of like in the creation story. You know, it's things to think about. I'm not trying to push one view or the other. I've told you my view, and my view is that uh, I take the Bible much more literal, um, yeah, and historical. I believe when it says that God uh, rained down fire and brimstone, that, that that's actually what happened. That judgment occurred to Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were destroyed for their sinfulness, for their wickedness. They had become so depraved, and, and they were just encouraging and building each other more in, into that. You know, they weren't repentant at all. Which is a big theme, if you look at Revelation, people not repenting and continuing to do wicked, wicked things that's a big theme in Revelation. So I don't see any inconsistency here that makes me think that that some of the Bible is so um, full of imagery that we can't understand it or, or gain knowledge from it or realize that maybe some of that, if we're saying this is literal and, and the creation is literal, then maybe we're also saying some of that is more literal than others, you know, want to think or put out. Now, again, this is due to my viewpoint. I tend to think things are more literal. I do understand, though, that a lot of the Bible is historical, and a lot of what we're reading here is historical. However, if you say that part of the Bible is not uh, fact, and it's just a lot of imagery and a lot of uh, hard-to-understand um, subjective stuff. Um, I'm just still missing the word I'm looking for. But anyway, um, if you take that viewpoint, you, you have to be careful. That viewpoint could be turned around and anyone could use that then on any part of the Bible and say, well, that's not really what happened. That's just a story. It's just an image representative of, you know, some historical event. It's not really truly what happened. So we have to be careful in how we look at the Bible and how we judge what is literal and what is not literal. Now Jesus does not want you to literally pluck your eye out or cut your hand and foot off. Okay, we know that. He said that for effect to get people's attention and to have them really think about and listen to what he was saying. And that's still valid for us today. But when we come into looking at what's literal and what's not literal, we, we do need to be careful and make sure we weigh this out and judge this out correctly. Um, I still believe that some of the things in Revelation 
are perhaps going to be more literal than uh, than than some people would expect. However, I do understand that Revelation is a different it is a different book, and it was a a vision given to John. Okay, so so as a vision, you know, I know that we can look at that somewhat differently. But to say everything in Revelation has occurred, we know that's not the case. So, mm, so I'm just trying to weigh things out, and I'm just trying to make sure that we think about these things. Um, definitely, I'm just going to, you know, Genesis 19 here, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, to me is very literal. God rained down judgment on those places. And you'll notice there is fire and brimstone, and that is the kind of destruction that we're talking about for a large part in Revelation as well. So this is not beyond the realm of possibility. This is actually, to me, kind of a confirmation that some of that may may actually happen. Peter also um, mentions that the the universe, the earth, everything will be melted in heat. You know, all the elements will be melted. So I, I believe that is also another indication. And And God you know, has indicated that everything will be destroyed in fire. So, all right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but I just wanted to mention that because this does, this does go, this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah does go with or pair with uh, some of the things we read in Revelation and, like I said, what Peter says and different things that, that, the destruction of the earth before we have the new earth, the destruction of this earth is going to come about in fire. So it's just something to be aware of and to think about, okay? All right. I want to thank you for listening. This has been Genesis chapter 19. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, God loves you. Okay, um, I just remembered the word I was looking for, symbolic. You know, when we say that Revelation is very symbolic, as if it has doesn't really have a lot of meaning, that it's, well, these things are symbolic, but they're, that's not what they mean. When we kind of say, it's kind of like we're saying God's lying, or kind of like we're saying the Bible is a lie, that part of it when we say that. So that's what bothers me about that. Uh, so I just wanted to explain that, and that's the word I was looking for, symbolic. So, you know, when we say that symbolic and those things have either already happened, but that's not really what happened, or um, those things are symbolic and they're never going to happen, then I kind of look at, at here in Genesis and say, well, then why, why would someone not look at this? Because, you know, we're we're talking about confusing people, or I am anyway. I'm talking about this could sound confusing. Then you come to Genesis and you say, oh, well, this isn't symbolic. This is literal. And I say that's that's when I think, that's when and why I think that can be an issue. And it's we, we want to be careful that we're not saying everything's just symbolic because, you know, if you invalidate, I'm going to be straight with you and just tell you, if you start with part of the Bible and you say, well, this part of the Bible is invalid. It's just symbolic and it's invalid and it doesn't really mean that. So we, we just cast that aside. Now that's what some people do and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that happens. Then, then you run the risk or 
for a lot of people, a lot of logical thinking people go, well, if that part's invalid, then it's all invalid because you've already told me that that part is just symbolic. It doesn't really mean what it says. It doesn't really, uh, it's not really true. It's just symbolic and it's invalid. So I can't pay attention to it. Well, then why would I pay attention to the rest of the book? Uh, because of God's word, and Jesus says this too, and in the Revelation, the Lord says this, you know, God's word is his word, and he says to take it seriously, and he says no one should be changing it or messing with it, adding to it or taking away from it. So, you know, so it's a risky thing, it's a risky proposition to go into any of the Bible and just say, well, that doesn't mean that. It says that, but it doesn't mean that. So, there are times... There are times when that is a valid approach. Like uh, Jesus said some things that were meant to be um, a little outlandish to gather people's attention, to get people's attention, to get them to listen and think about what he was saying. But that's not the same as actual historical fact like we have here in Genesis. And it's not the same as the vision that John had in Revelation where it was telling us it was telling them initially back then of what was to come and what they would go through. I think some of that does apply in that sense, but I think there may be more far-reaching implications than just that because it goes beyond and it comes to the time where we know we haven't gotten to yet. So I think it goes beyond just the first century church. I think it goes well beyond there. and. We know we don't have a new heaven and a new earth yet, and we know the Lord hasn't come back yet. So we know there's not been a new Jerusalem. So his vision goes, it may start there with the early church, but it extends well beyond that. So we have to <clears throat> be careful that we're not saying things are only symbolic or, you know, that they don't mean what they mean. You know, like I said, it, it is somewhat different, and you do have to use some judgment, some mature level-headed thinking and some judgment when Jesus was speaking. He doesn't want you to cut your hand and foot off. But he is saying to remove that temptation. Remove those temptations from your life. So, but anyway, I know it's a bit of a tangent, but it's just something to think about and make sure that we don't go to an extreme that actually invalidates uh, where we accidentally invalidate the Bible or the Word of God because the Word of God it's, it's the, it is the one thing it is the only uh, real world thing that we have that we have that connects us to our Creator it's His Word we don't have anything else so if we start invalidating it then then, you know, that causes that causes issues for people that don't believe and for people that do believe. So, we don't want to create those issues. Alright, again, sorry for this little extension. I just happened to remember that symbolic was the word I was looking for. So, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day. Remember, God loves you.